You're listening to a Sun Life podcast. We pray that you be blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more information, visit sunlife.org.au. Enjoy the sermon. All right, we should start. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you and is of me. I want more of you and less of me. Empty me, empty me, fill. Won't you fill me with you, with you? As you probably realize, they're not my words. They're the words of singer-songwriter Jeremy Camp from his song titled Empty Me. And I would like to point out two things to begin with. The first is that I spoke the words. I don't sing them because there's enough suffering in this world as it is. And the second thing is that this song is from the year 2004, so it's 17 years old, it's really old. I think some people would give it almost hymn status by now. But why do I bring it up? Well, the first words are holy fire, that is the Holy Spirit. And of course, he's the subject of our theme for this sermon series, as well as really for this whole year. And what I want to point out further in those song lyrics are two particular things that are said. Firstly, it says, fill me, won't you fill me with you? That is asking the Holy Fire, the Holy Spirit to fill us. And of note, the target audience for this song is not the unchurched, it's not pre-believers, but it's very much aimed at Christians, those who have already accepted Christ, asking the Holy Spirit to fill them. And secondly, it says, I want more of you, that is wanting more of the Holy Spirit. So the question I want to ask is, are these questions, these, uh, these um, requests, these prayers effectively through the song, are they biblically correct? Are believers who have the Holy Spirit, should we be asking the Holy Spirit to fill us? And we should, we, should we be asking for more of him, whatever that may mean? So at this point, I wanted to say to some people's relief um, that I'm actually a fan of Jeremy Camp. So for the, I don't know, 2% of people who actually have heard of him before, this isn't going to be some sort of Jeremy Camp sort of bashing session or anything like that. Um, but I think the questions we've, um, we've mentioned are interesting and important questions to ask because they might challenge our thoughts, maybe even our theology on the Holy Spirit. And it's not just this song, obviously. There's many other song lyrics which say um, similar things. And I've purposely not chosen any recent songs, but if we go back another decade, in um, 1993, Hillsong released a song called Holy Spirit Come, on the next slide, uh, which says, of course, Holy Spirit come, oh come to us. And then the next song, uh, next uh, slide, thanks. We go back another decade to 1985, and this song says, Come Holy Spirit for Fresh on Me, which is probably familiar to many of you. And if you think that's an old song, we go back 100 years now to 1926, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. This is a true hymn here, and it later on says, To Fill Me. So in each of these songs, the songwriters ask us as Christians to invite the Holy Spirit to come, sometimes to come into us, sometimes to fill us, sometimes to fall on us. Now, if you've been at Sun Life throughout this year, uh, you might have been at the service where Pastor Ben talked about what filling in the Holy Spirit means. And if you were there, that's a huge advantage for you uh, this morning. But I think it's something worth focusing on a bit again, because it's very relevant to our passage today. And it's also something that causes a lot of confusion. Because the questions I think that sometimes get raised with this ki- these kind of song lyrics are, well, one, if we're asking the Holy Spirit to come again or fall on us, Does that mean the Holy Spirit is intermittent? Does he come and go? If so, how do we know if he's in me or not? And how can I get him to come back again? And two, if we're asking for more of the Holy Spirit or for him to fill us, how much of the Holy Spirit do I have? How much is enough? And how can I get more? Now, some people might be feeling quite uncomfortable with these questions here, but I want to show you that, look, I'm being intentionally a little bit controversial here. So, you know, uh, just bear with me and, you know, don't walk out yet. But these are the kind of questions that I've heard people ask before. 
So with that, what I want to do is I want to go to the passage we've been allocated today, which is John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. And I particularly want you to turn there in your Bibles if you've got like a physical paper Bible with you this morning. So I'll be reading from the New English Translation, the the Net Bible, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Then I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he resides with you and will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. In a little while, the world will not see me any longer, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. You will know at the time that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for these words that you've spoken. And we pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit will be our illuminator, Lord, for this text. That your Holy Spirit will be our helper. We pray this in your name. Amen. Right. So does anyone here actually have like a physical Bible here, like a paper Bible? If so, the question I want to ask is, what color are the letters that you're reading? Red, right. Okay, so for a lot of Bibles, it's going to be in red. These are the red letters because they're the words of Jesus. And in fact, chapters, John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are pretty much entirely in red letters because this is part of John's gospel that's um, often called the upper room or farewell discourse. Uh, because it all takes place in the upper room um, just after Jesus shared the Last Supper with the disciples, uh, but also just before he was betrayed and arrested. So it's also a bit of a farewell speech for him as well. And broadly speaking, you can divide up the chapter into sort of four sections. There's um, this chapter about Jesus' departure and the coming of the Holy Spirit, I think. Next slide. Uh, Chapter 15 is about the vine and the branches. Chapter 16 is a bit similar to this one, and 17 is Jesus' farewell prayer. So that's the general context of where we are in the Bible. But to add to that more specifically, in the start of chapter 14, Jesus starts off by talking about his relationship with God the Father. And without going into too much detail into the theology of the Trinity, um, he says that he and the Father are more or less equal. Verse 9, the person who has seen me, that is Jesus, has seen the Father. In other words, he and the Father are equal. And I want you to keep that in mind as we continue. Let's now go to our first verse, which is verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, which might be a bit of an odd-sounding verse to, to sort of start off with. It has two parts. There's an if, there's a condition, and there's a if you, um, if you love me, which, um, sorry, that's if you love me, and there's a result you will obey. Now, if you just read that verse by itself, at least perhaps in sort of modern day thinking, it might sound a, a little bit weird. It might even sound a bit like emotional blackmail. Because if, imagine if someone said to you, if you love me, you'll do this or you will do that. Like, you know, if you love me, you'll cook dinner for me. Or if you love me, you'll take out the trash. It doesn't sound a lot like, you know, this whole sort of unconditional love that, you know, we hear so much about. It sounds very conditional. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. But the thing is, this verse, whilst entirely true, is not meant to be read in isolation. It's actually a couplet with the previous verse, which is verse 14, and that says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And hopefully you can see the similarities between those two verses, this couplet. If not, I've made a table. Next slide. And it's going to get nerdier from here, so you know, <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> so in this table, you can see the parallels between these uh, two verses. Uh, next slide, thanks. 
So first, there's a huge promise that Jesus gives. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then only does Jesus mention outside of the deal. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you ask me, I will do it. If you love me, you will obey. And you can kind of argue that's really a bit of a raw deal for Jesus here because he makes this huge promise to us to do anything we ask in his name. But for us, it's not really a promise we have to make to obey. And the reason for that is because it's actually a natural outcome. If we love him, we obey him. It's not a condition, it's a result. It really says again what we know about the relationship between faith and works, faith and deeds. And I guess briefly put, we're not saved by works, but when we are saved, we do good works. As the reform mantra goes, and we are a reformed church, we are justified by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Or putting slightly differently, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And because of that, we've got no problem with this verse, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. It just makes sense. So I'm going to leave that verse for a moment because although it's an important verse, it's not really what we want to focus on now because the topic of, um, at hand is actually the Holy Spirit. And in the next verse in a bit, uh, we're going to look at that. So verse 16, Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit. So to start off, I just want to focus on a key word here, which is the word advocate. And the word advocate is a slightly difficult word because it's hard to translate from the original Greek. Now, I'm not someone who normally puts up the Greek words because I can't read or speak Greek. Uh, that's the main reason. But I'm kind of forced to in this case. So from someone who does not speak Greek, what I can tell you is that the first letter is pi, as in 3.14159265535, right? So that's a P, okay? The next one is alpha, so that's an A. The next one looks like a P, but it's actually rho, which is the uh, physics symbol for resistivity and I think density, of right? Uh, so that's actually not a P, it's an R. Then we've got an alpha with just a bit of extra attitude, so that's an A again. So it's P-A-R-A, which is para. So what does para mean? Well, para means beside or alongside, like the word parallel, you know, two lines um, alongside each other, or a paraphrase, that kind of thing. So how about the second part of the word? Well, that looks like a K, so we're going to go with that. The next one is the lambda, as in like the South American lambda variant for a happy thought this morning. Uh, the next one's presumably a vowel, then it looks like a T-O and a bit of a munted S. And I apologize if anyone actually speaks Greek here at all, uh, but anyway. So the next word is kletos, and kletos means to call or to be called. Like Romans 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, kletos to be an apostle called to be an apostle. So we put them together, parakletos, what does that mean? It means someone who is called to be alongside someone, someone to be beside them, and particularly in the sense of being called to someone's aid to help them out. And you can see why, therefore, it's often translated as the word helper, uh, which is the title of this message, the Holy Spirit, my helper. And helper is what it is in the NKJV, the ESV, the NSAB. In the NIV and this translation, the uh, Net Bible, it's translated as advocate. The KJV says comforter, CSB says counselor, and the Amplified uses every single word possible as it, as it usually does. <laughs> the reason for that is there's no one English word which really suffices to, to explain it because comforter and counselor, they're a bit too broad really. And helper suggests a subordinate role, like, you know, the Holy Spirit is like, you know, your employee, which is certainly not the case. So the one they've chosen in this translation is the word advocate. And that actually does make sense because there's a bit of a legal sort of inclination with the word. Someone who pleads another person's cause before a judge. 
Now, although there's this legal sense of the word, the word advocate was chosen because, well, it's a better word than the word lawyer because it's kind of weird to say the Holy Spirit is my lawyer. Uh, and no offense to any lawyers here, but essentially that's what it is. And if you happen to speak uh, French, you may know that the French word for lawyer is actually un avocat, which is basically A-V-O-C-A-T, which, like the word advocate, but sort of missing half the letters and not pronouncing you know, the, the rest, which is how I believe the French language works. So, <laughs> confusingly though, avocat is not only the French word for lawyer, it's also the French word for avocado too. And I think that's quite strange because you could, you could go into a courthouse or a greengrocer and ask for the same thing, uh, puis je vois, an avocat, and get a completely different thing each time. But there's a reason I bring this up, and the reason is that, legally speaking, it's very interesting to consider what is the opposite of the advocate or the avocat if you're a defendant in a court case. The person opposite the advocate, uh, the de- oh, sorry, the person opposite the, def- the defendant is the plaintiff, the person who complains. In other words, the accuser. So if you th- now think about that in a biblical sense, there's an accuser, that is Satan, but we have our avocat, we have our advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, who stands up and says that we are not under the accuser's rule anymore, but that we are under the grace of Christ Jesus. And I think we can say an amen to that. Now, also interestingly, the word advocate or parakletos is only used four times to refer to the Holy Spirit, all of which are found in the book of John. So there's this one in John 14, 16, then in verse 26, which I think is going to be another message sometime coming up. Uh, and then again in John chapters 15 and 16. So we don't have time to read these, but in each of these passages, Jesus tells us something specific about the advocate. But in our verse, what is he saying about it? What kind of advocate is the Holy Spirit in this passage that we're looking at today? Well, the answer is he's an advocate like Jesus. And you might ask, exactly where does it say that in this passage? Well, it may not be that obvious, but if you actually look through the text, there's three clues, in fact, that say that the Holy Spirit is an advocate like Jesus. The first one is to do with the word advocate itself again, parakletos. As we said before, it's only ever used to describe the Holy Spirit in this book of John, and we saw four times. But it's also used just one other time in the Bible, and that's in 1 John, the first uh, letter of John. Except in that case, parakletos is not being used to describe the Holy Spirit. So who does it describe then? 1 John 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. So it describes Jesus as the parakletos then. So we can kind of imply that as, Jesus, as John sorry, was using the same word for both, or Jesus was using the same for both, parakletos, he's saying the Holy Spirit is an advocate just like Jesus. How about the second clue? Well, this one I'm actually going to like literally super speed through because it's, there's a lot being said about this, and I'm not sure it really matters too much, but it's to, to, to do with the word another. When Jesus says another advocate, so... Some people make a big deal about the choice of Greek words here for another because it's alos, not heteros, but because heteros means another of a different kind, people think alos means another of the same kind, that is that the Holy Spirit is the same kind as Jesus, but there's a problem with that because the opposite of heteros is not alos, it's actually homos, and I know that because I always talk about homogeneous and heterogeneous every day at work. And the other problem is that people also think the whole distinction of Greek words for another didn't even exist in Jesus' time. So it all gets very complicated. But the reason I spit this all through is because the good thing is it doesn't really matter at all because what does the English word another mean? 
Well, it means another. Another means another. And what I mean by that is that the word another implies something similar, not necessarily identical, but something similar is actually going to come. So if I gave you an apple and I said, I'll give you another, what you'd be expecting would be another apple, right? You wouldn't be expecting a banana. So something similar would happen. So here, another just means another in English, and in this case, another advocate like Jesus. So two clues so far that the Holy Spirit is an advocate like Jesus. Let's go to the third clue, and we'll slow down a bit here. So clue three is actually found in verses 16 to 20, or more specifically, uh, verses 16 and 17, verses, verse, well, verses, verses, 18 to 20. Because here again, we see parallel verses. 16 to 17 is about God the Spirit, whereas 18 to 20 is about God the Son. And the best way I can show this, of course, is with another table. So in verse 16, next slide, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. But then in verse 18, Jesus says about himself, I will not abandon you as orphans, I will come to you. So be with you, come to you. In both of them, he talks about someone to be with them or to come to them. And we won't read the rest of the verses now, but you can see that in the second set of verses, they both talk about someone that the world cannot see. And in the third set, about someone that you will know in you. So as Jesus talks about, uh, as, just as Jesus talked about how he and the Father were very similar at the start of chapter 14, now he's starting to talk about how he and the Holy Spirit are similar instead. So let's go, briefly go through these one by one. So the first one, verse 16. Now, we've already looked at this verse in quite a bit of detail, at least two words of it, advocate, another. But the bit that I want to focus on here is the sense of intimacy in this verse of someone coming to be with you. And particularly how this ties in with verse 18, where Jesus says to the disciples, I will come to you. Now, different people interpret uh, Jesus' words here a little bit differently. Uh, keeping in mind, this was part of his uh, farewell speech before he was crucified. So when he says that he will come to them, some people think that he's talking about immediately post-resurrection in his post-resurrection body. Other people think it's to do with the second coming, and other people think he's referring to both. And other people from a sort of Trinitarian sense think he's also kind of referring a bit to the Holy Spirit. And all those things may be true. The point is, is that Jesus is trying to show here a continuity, a kinship similar to the one he really had with them. A person who was not just their leader, wasn't just their rabbi, but was also their friend as well. That the Holy Spirit will be a helper as intimate with them just as he was too. And this is important because there's some very differing views of the Holy Spirit out there. And I've listed some on the next slide. And I haven't made these up. Here are some definitions of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is an invisible active force by means of which God gets his will done. Skipping a few. The Holy Spirit is a divine body of knowledge known as divine science. And the last one. The Holy Spirit is the seventh cause array aspect of the sacred fire which transmutes the cause effect record of memory of negative karma and misqualified energy the result in discord. Which one of these is correct? I'll give you a hint. It's not the last one. But in fact, none of these are correct because these are all flawed definitions of the Holy Spirit. In fact, they're all slightly cultic ones. If we go to the next slide, you'll see in the first three uh, that he's just, um, the Holy Spirit is just described as a force, a power, an energy. And none of these actually recognize the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Because although we do recognize that the Holy Spirit does give us power, as our speaker last week, Ari Slouts, um, so wonderfully demonstrated, that's not all he is. He's a person, not just, I guess, a regular person, but then neither was Jesus. 
And so we go to the next slide. We can see that clearly in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is a person. And we had a prior message about this, um, that he has a personhood. He does person-like things. Um, and again, we're not going to read this. But I want to point out that last section there. The Holy Spirit is a helper who testifies about Christ and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And they're all things that are found in this book, the book of John. And it really goes to show that the Holy Spirit is a helper who will come and be with us just like Jesus was with the disciples, not a person and not just a power. So let's look at the second lot of verses now, and let's look at what it says about uh, Jesus first. So verse 19, um, In a little while the world will not see me any longer, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. And I think we can go two more slides ahead. So Jesus says, the world will not see me any longer. And Although the disciples didn't know it at the time, what Jesus was referring to uh, was his crucifixion and death. From then on, the world would no longer see Jesus. However, for them, the disciples, they would see him again in his post-resurrection body, uh, meeting with him in the upper room and even eating fish with him later on as well. And the promise that came along with this was because I live, because Jesus lives as evidenced by his resurrection, so they would live too. Not necessarily in a physical sense, but in an eternal spiritual sense. So how does that relate to the verse about the Holy Spirit? Well, verse 17a says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot accept because it does not see him or know him. So again, we can see this difference between a physical world and a spiritual world. The physical world, which, we can't, um, which can't see or know the Holy Spirit and therefore cannot accept him. But for us as believers, we can see him and we can know him. The main point here is that the Holy Spirit is an advocate or helper who is for us. For those who believe him, there's something that separates us, sets us apart from this physical world. Just as Jesus was in this world, but not of this world, it's the same thing. So that brings us to the third set of verses. Verse 17b. But you know him because he resides with you and will be in you. Now this one I barely need to talk about at all because the last week's speaker, Ari, covered this in his message amazingly last week. So if you remember, he talked about the fact that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit will come upon people. And, he, um, and the examples, I think, were David and Samson. And he called this the ondwelling of the Holy Spirit, which was a made-up word, but I think very effectively conveys the, uh, the, the concept. But in our times now, the Holy Spirit does not ondwell on people. He indwells instead. And that's what this verse is saying. At the time that Jesus was speaking to the disciples, the Holy Spirit resided with them. But he tells them there will be a time after Pentecost where the Holy Spirit will instead be in them. So not upon them or on them, but in them instead. And again, in a Trinitarian sense, Jesus says in verse 20 about himself that at that time you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. That the Holy Spirit will bring about a sense of unity, a sense of oneness for us where God himself as the Spirit will live inside us, just as Jesus had said earlier in chapter 14, that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. So these verses describe the Holy Spirit as a helper who lives within us. So let's do a little bit of a recap here before we go any further. So we've talked about the word parakletos, one called beside us, our advocate or our helper or our lawyer, and that he's an advocate in a similar way to Jesus, a helper who comes to be with us, a helper who sets us apart from the world, and a helper who is not just with us, but lives in us. And to add to that, I want to point out another thing I skipped over in the first section, verse 16 again, 
uh, which said that the advocate will be with us. But be with us for how long? It says forever. Forever, just as Jesus promises us in verse 18 that he will not abandon us. That is, he's not a Holy Spirit who comes and goes. He's not intermittent, but he's a Holy Spirit who will stay with us to get forever. And at this point in time, you might remember where we started off in this message. We started off with some song lyrics, and we asked a couple of questions. Number one, does asking the Holy Spirit to come again or fall on us mean that the Holy Spirit comes and goes? And two, what does it mean to have more of the Holy Spirit or for him to fill us? From what we're seeing in John chapter 14 now, how do we address these questions? Does the Holy Spirit come and go? No. If you have received the Holy Spirit, then his promise is that he'll be in you and in you forever. Which means we don't need to keep asking to, um, we don't need to keep inviting him into us again and again. But how about more of the Holy Spirit or filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, as we saw before, the Holy Spirit is a person. So you either have him or you don't. You can't sort of subdivide up a person. So can you have more of the Holy Spirit or can you be filled more with him as some of these songs say? Well, it depends a little bit on what you mean by more. And the best way I can explain this is by an analogy that um, I've used for a very long time. I want you to imagine that inviting the Holy Spirit into your life is like inviting a person into your house. And I've got a picture up there in a moment as well. So you open the door, you let them in, you tell them to make themselves at home, and you say whatever is yours is theirs. Use whatever room you want, you, uh, relax in the living room, make food in the kitchen, have a rest in the guest room, use the bathroom, use the study, you know, all those sorts of things. Now, the first thing to note is that now they're in your house, which means that they're no longer outside. And that will seem pretty obvious, but sometimes we get a bit confused with that with the Holy Spirit. Because in bad times, or when we've been bad, that is, we've sinned, we think that the Holy Spirit has left us. So much so, we can get to a stage where we think that we've lost the Holy Spirit, that he's gone, and we go open that front door and look out for him, asking him to come back into us. But for Christians, that doesn't make any sense because the Holy Spirit is not out there. Where is he? He's inside us. He lives with inside us. He's inside your house, inside your life. The Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is never going to leave us, forsake us. As he promises, he's a helper who will be with you forever. And perhaps this is one lesson that the accuser sometimes makes us think that we've been so bad that the Holy Spirit has left. He makes us feel distant from the Holy Spirit, but that isn't the case. He's right there, or rather, right here. He's not far, he's close. And in fact, you can't get any closer than within you. The problem is, is that often despite those facts, he does kind of feel far to many of us. I mean, we understand the logic that he's in us, he's not far, but sometimes it feels like he's far. So what's that about? What's that feeling about? Well, to me, it's this. For many people, perhaps maybe everyone, when we first received the Holy Spirit, uh, when we first accepted Christ, we were really set on fire for him. So every day, everywhere, and everything, we were focused on Jesus. Every thought, every action, you had the Holy Spirit in every aspect of your life. But if we think again about the house analogy, it's a bit like having the Holy Spirit in every room of your house. You know, in your study might represent your work life, your living room, your family life, your kitchen, your health, and so on. But for some of us, somewhere along that line, that, uh, the line, that stopped being the case. And what we did is we started blocking off some areas of our lives from the Holy Spirit, saying, not this area, not this room, not this part of my life, not my work life, not my finances, not my private life. Like you can have... All you want with my Sundays, uh, Holy Spirit, 
but Monday to Friday, they're mine instead. And we did that more and more, blocking off more and more rooms until we locked the Holy Spirit into the smallest room in our house, the cellar, the, the wardrobe, whatever the case may be. And we said, this is my life, not yours, Holy Spirit. But he's still in there. He hasn't left. And the result of that is that he feels far. You feel far. But the truth is, you know that he's in you. But sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And maybe some of you, you know, can relate to that sort of feeling. And this is where I want to address the concept um, of being filled with the Holy Spirit or asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. You see, like in the song that we started off with, and the lyrics will be up again, uh, the Jeremy Camp song, it said, fill me, won't you fill me with you? And I've actually got no problem with those lyrics at all because for a Christian, I don't see it as a filling from the outside because the Holy Spirit isn't out there. I see it as a filling from the inside, letting the Holy Spirit fill your house again, fill your life again, every single room. And asking for more of the Holy Spirit, well, we saw it in our verses. The Holy Spirit, just like Jesus, is a person. You can't have more of a person physically, but there can be a sense of more. And I think this is best explained in a quote many of you would have heard before. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much the Holy Spirit has of you. It's not how much of the Holy Spirit you have, but how much the Holy Spirit has of you. Having more of the Holy Spirit means having Him take over more of your life, filling you not from the outside, but from the inside, letting Him out of that little room that you've put Him in. And so lyrics like this, more of you and less of me, empty me, fill me, From that perspective, I think they make perfect sense. As long as we've got that theology right, we know He's in us, He won't leave us, then we can sing these songs with no issue at all. Before we close, we haven't actually looked at the very last verse, and that's verse 21. And the good thing is that we don't need to spend hardly any time on this at all, because it's almost the same as our first verse, verse 15. 21 says this, The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me, just like verse 15 said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Why is it these two verses, the ones that frame this topic about loving Jesus, sorry, these verses about loving Jesus and obeying him, frame this section on the Holy Spirit? The reason they do is because they tell us who this helper is for. The Holy Spirit is a helper for his disciples, the ones who love Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. It's in us that the Holy Spirit resides, and the evidence of that residence it's obedience. As we said in the beginning, we are faith, uh, saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. If we love him, we obey him. The Holy Spirit comes into us. He lives in us, sets us apart from this world, and we love him, we obey him. And so if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, he's already in you. And if you're not a believer yet, he waits to reside in you. And if you want him in your life, whether that's for the first time, for those who haven't accepted Christ before, or if you've really got him but want him to fill you more, Jesus tells us what we need to do to make that happen. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's Jesus' promise to you. So church this morning, there's two groups I want to commit to God. The first are those who may not know Jesus yet as their Lord and Savior. Maybe you don't, you don't know what it's like yet to have this wonderful Holy Spirit in your life and you want to invite Him in to be your helper, to be your comforter, to be your counselor, to be your advocate, to stand in the gap for you and declare because of Christ, your sins are forgiven and you can have a relationship with God the Father. Well, this morning can be that chance for you to invite the Holy Spirit in. 
And maybe he's just knocking on that door, that door of your heart right now. And the other group, and this would be many of us um, who have already called Jesus their Lord, but maybe it was quite some time ago. And since then, that feeling that you once had, maybe it seems like it's disappeared. Maybe you've been feeling far from him. Even if you're in your head, you know that's not the case. And when we talked about the house, you feel as if little by little, you've blocked him off from rooms one by one, locked him away from parts of your life saying, these are mine and not yours, and you haven't given him free reign in your life. Then for you this morning, let me say that the Holy Spirit is also quietly knocking on the inside, on that little door inside your house, wherever you have placed him. And he's saying, let me out, let me out. He's strong and he could knock through it any time. But he doesn't. He waits for you. He waits for you to open it, to allow him back into all the parts of your life, to fill you again from the inside, to take over more of you. So I'm not going to get anyone up the front today or anything, but what we're going to do is Jordan's going to play a song, and the lyrics will seem a little bit familiar. But what I want you to do is reflect on you know, the words of this song. And if you want to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you, whether that's for the first time from the front door or from the inside, that I encourage you to do so. Thanks, Jordan.